Good. Good morning, folks. It's very good to be with you on site and good to see that we're online as well. <clears throat> I wonder how many times you've asked this lately. When will things get back to normal? Been asking that? What if, what if getting back to normal isn't the aim? What if the goal isn't to go back, but is to move forward? Especially to move forward into God's plans for us. And to see more of what Jesus told us to pray for. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I've never quoted Boris Johnson while preaching before. But Boris Johnson, at the Conservative Conference a couple of weeks ago, said this. Uh, he said that the UK could not return to normal after the pandemic. Instead, this would be a catalyst for major change. And I'm quoting him. He said, we human beings simply will not content ourselves with a repair job. We see these moments as the time to learn and to improve on the world that went before. After all we've been through, it isn't enough just to go back to normal. And something of that is the sentiment behind this Reforming Church series that we're going through, in which we're looking at eight terms that the New Testament uses to describe the church. People, family, community, temple, unity, body, disciples, witnesses. And we're asking, how can we move forward in those things? Even during COVID times, how can we become more of the church that God wants us to be? How can those terms be more true of us, even in these times, and certainly when these times are over. It's not a time to just be saying, when are we going to go back to normal? It's a time to be saying, can we press forward as individuals and as a church? So week one, we looked at the church being the people of God. Last week, the church as the family of God. And today, we're looking at this magnificent term, community. 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 It's not really a New Testament word. It's, it, it's an Old Testament term, but it is absolutely a New Testament concept. And by the word community, we don't just mean a friendly bunch of people. We mean the people of God who are gathered together to be something together and for one another. We mean fellowship. We mean joint participation. We mean sharing in life together as community, especially the partnership that God's people have together because he has made them together, and they are one in Christ. Let's read a couple of sections of the book of Acts. They are summary statements of what life was like at the very beginning of church life, and there you'll find they are absolutely speaking about a wonderful community. The first one goes like this. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They, those who were following Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How about that for a church life? Settle for a bit of that. Acts chapter 4, a couple of chapters over, verse 32, another summary of church life at that stage. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that, here's a challenge, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, here's a challenge, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And here's an example. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. I wonder wonder if for some here, some online, you've never heard those words before. They are extraordinary summaries of early church life. For others of us who've been around for a little while, we could face the opposite danger of becoming so familiar with those passages that we lose the impact of their extraordinary life going on there. They are remarkable glimpses of the one another implications of following Jesus. You see, what's just happened in Acts chapter 2 is that the Holy Spirit has been poured out. The church has been birthed. And Peter has stood up and preached about Jesus. And loads of people have come to faith in Christ. And the Spirit has come upon them. And the outcome of that is this kind of life. Togetherness, devotion, unity, sacrificial giving, miracles and salvation. So if we're looking at reforming church How can we move into some of that? How can we be a church more like the one of Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4? Well, there are some things we can do and pray for. Firstly, community like Acts 2 and Acts 4 comes from a conviction about God's design. One man who uh, wrote a translation of the New Testament was a man called J.B. Phillips. And he said this, he he said, one cannot spend several months in the close study of this book, the book of Acts, because he was translating it, without being profoundly stirred. And to be honest, disturbed. The reader is stirred because he is seeing Christianity, the real thing, in action for the first time in human history. Here we are seeing the church in its first youth, valiant and unspoiled. But the reader is also disturbed, for surely this is the church as it was meant to be. Now sure, any Passage in the Bible needs contextualizing and reforming it in our own day. But Acts 2, the conviction about Acts 2 and Acts 4 is that they are not meant to be just some historic golden era for the church. They're meant to be a vision of what can be, of what should be. Church as it was meant to be in our day. 
and central quite clearly to the idea of Acts, what Acts 2 and Acts 4 is saying is community. A conviction that we share in life together because we share in Christ's life together. I am not just an individual sailing through this Christian life of mine. I'm not just a rock sitting on my own in glorious isolation. I am joined to the people of God. I am part of his family. He has made me to be part of the community. He has joined us together in Christ to be one together. So we're actually trying to work out what God has worked in. He's made us people. He's made us family. He's made us community, body, temple. Live it out. Live out what he has worked in. So I want to see a city gate reformed and with an Acts 2 and 4 pair of spectacles. I wonder what you think of these. These were for a kid's talk I'd had to do this week. They're magnificent, aren't they? If you remember nothing else this morning, you'll know he was wearing some stupid glasses. But with these glasses, well, I can't see a lot actually, but with these glasses... With these Acts 2 and Acts 4 glasses, I can see much more clearly that's what the church is meant to be. That's what doing life together looks like. It looks like Acts 2. It looks like Acts 4. This is what community means. Not the best that the world can offer out there, but an absolutely remarkable, supernatural doing life together with one another, putting one another first, because in Christ we are together and we're following his pattern. If he so loved us, how can I not love you? It's the lonely finding a family. It's the poor finding generosity. It's the desperate finding hope. The abused finding healing. The broken finding restoration. The downtrodden finding dignity. Where all are honored because all are made in the image of God. And if he loves you, I can't not love you. If he loves you, how can I despise you? How can I not offer you generosity when such grace has been given to me? One writer in the, in the early second century, so not that long after what we read about in the book of Acts, gave a similar account, and he ends with this, which shows that it wasn't just a golden era at one point in time. This is how the church worked and was built and still could be today. He finishes his account saying this, and if there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and he has not an abundance of necessaries, they, the rest, fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with their necessary food. It's hugely provoking. But wouldn't you love to be part of something like that? Wouldn't you love to be part of an Acts 2, Acts 4 community? And it starts with a conviction about God's design for his people. You see, this wasn't just a social community, a humanitarian society. It started with convictions. If God has made you, and if God loves you, we must love one another. It starts with conviction about God, about who people are, and about the nature of the church. The church is not a service to attend. It's not a building to go to. It's a community. It's a people. It's a family. 
And I want to keep that Bible-defined conviction and vision alive, even during COVID. As you could easily say, well, maybe that's possible in another day. Maybe it used to be possible. I want to say to you, it is possible now. It might look a little bit different, but there's nothing stopping you and I taking the initiative to look at Acts chapter 2, put the glasses on, see that's what it's meant to be like, and seeking God by his grace to help us to build a church like that. And it's possible, and I want to hold on to this, and I don't want to dare let go of it, even though church life is messy at times. Have you ever found that? Okay, I have. Church is messy at times. See, if you read on in the book of Acts, you'll find deception in chapter 5, division in chapter 6, and danger in chapter 7. You and I know church life can be messy. Why is it messy? Not because the church gets it wrong, but because you and I are still works in progress. We are imperfect, though we are dearly loved and righteous in Christ. We've all been hurt by other Christians. I'm not going to give up on Acts 2 and Acts 4 because of that. I've felt overlooked, haven't you, at times in the past? I'm not going to give up on Acts 2 and Acts 4. I'm not going to let the devil have his way and seek to produce division among his people. I will keep hold of the glasses and look at the church. That's what it's meant to be. And keep working and building for it. Will you keep it alive? This is what church is meant to be. It starts with conviction. And secondly, community like Acts 2 and Acts 4 comes from the life of God in his people. We need to be clear about this. It wasn't just that the people of Acts 2 and Acts 4 had deep convictions and lots of ambition about what the church could be. It wasn't only that the life of God was flowing in this community. So note these things in Acts 2 and Acts 4. It's been founded on and formed by Christ and the new life he brings by his spirit being poured out. Acts 2 and Acts 4 kind of life is sustained by the life of God working powerfully in them. Listen to this that I read to you earlier. God's grace, his gifts of life to them, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that with the result that there was no needy person among them. It wasn't just they were generous. They knew the generosity of God's life flowing in them. His grace was so powerfully at work that there was no needy person. And it's pumping with the life of the Holy Spirit. There's great power, chapter 4, verse 33. Wonders and signs are being done, 2, verse 43. God is bringing many new people to saving faith, 2, verse 47. Can you see what I'm saying? The life of God is all over this Acts 2, Acts 4 community. Community life like that is the result of the Spirit's life in his people. You can't just legislate for it. Imagine if the leaders of this church wrote to everybody and said, now we now want you to do this and do that and do the other and be this and so on and so on. It just wouldn't work. My, um, my first PE teaching job decades ago was in a rugby playing school. I still don't know why they gave me the job. I never played rugby. This was a rugby playing school. And uh, because I didn't know rugby, I was never, as you can see, built for rugby, I'd have been smashed to pieces. Um, 
I, I had to learn the laws of rugby. And let me tell you, the book of the laws of rugby is a thick book. It's such a complex game with so many scenarios and so many people involved and so many things going on that there's very, very complicated laws to make it work. And I had to learn this. And then every year, there were always some law amendments. So I had to read up on them and I had to somehow work out how rugby worked. And it worked. It controlled all the chaos by way of legislation. We don't do that in the church. You'll be glad to know. There isn't a great big rules book. Here's how church life works. It works by the life of the Spirit in us, helping us to please God and love one another and love our world. I can think of a couple in Torquay where I used to live who lived over the road from us. We got to know them. They came to our church. They became Christians. And Jackie and I spent, for a while, every fortnight, we were with them just helping them to grow in their faith. And it was absolutely fascinating to find that they were changing. Sean, not that one. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> it was absolutely fascinating to see how they were changing. Do you know what? We hadn't given them a rules book. We hadn't given them a, now you're Christians, what you must do is on a Monday do this, on a Tuesday do that, if you encounter this situation, do the other. I'll tell you what was happening, the life of God was at work in these people. I did a, a membership discussion with someone, I've done a few lately, did one with someone in the church this week, and it was an absolute joy to be welcoming that person into this church. They have had a horrific background, and they have found genuinely new life in Christ. Do you know what they haven't found? They haven't found religion. They haven't found a philosophy for living. They haven't found a way to make their life a bit better. They found Jesus, and by his Spirit coming upon them, they're living a new life and loving it. This community in Acts 2 and Acts 4 was based on lots of conviction, but it was also to do massively with the life and power of God in them. Listen to this great quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. The Christian life, after all, is a life. It's a power. It's an activity. That is the thing we so constantly tend to forget. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a point of view. It's not just a teaching that we take up and try to put into practice. It is all that, but it's something infinitely more. He said, the very essence of the Christian life is that it is a mighty power that enters into us. It is a life, if you like, that is pulsating in us. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, I can't remember the last time it felt like that. Let me encourage you to press on for more. Let me encourage you to press on into more of that type of community where we have a conviction of what, what this is meant to be, but we know the life and power of God in us flowing through us and helping this type of community to be created. Don't you want a bit of that? Yeah. I absolutely do. Finally, community like Acts 2 and Acts 4 comes as well from this. It comes from faith-filled decisions. You see, you have to read these passages and note that they also did something. This kind of community life was a natural result of God's life in them, but it wasn't simply automatic. 
As if we could say, let's just wait then on the Lord to do it. No, chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Chapter 2, verse 46, they continued to meet together. They steadfastly held on to this conviction about this new way of life. So you might want to ask this. Tim, you just said it was a result of the power of God in them. And now you're telling me it's the result of our faith-filled decisions. Which is it? You're confusing me. Is it God's activity or is it ours? Here's the answer. As always in the Christian life, God's activity and people's activity or God's sovereignty and our responsibility are related, not separated. They seem to rest on each other, as this image shows you. If you took away one of the parts of this image, the thing would fall down. Well, just take my word for it, it would fall down, never mind. There, if you took away the red or the blue, it would fall down. This is how man's responsibility and God's sovereignty work together. Not against each other, not separated, they hold together. So notice, while the power of God is doing an extraordinary amount in these people in Acts 2 and Acts 4, notice all that they did. I'll read for you. Chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and so on. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple. They broke bread in their homes, and so on. Chapter 4, no one claimed, they're doing that, that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify. They were doing that. Uh, let's go down. Verse 34, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money to be distributed. Can you see what I'm saying? The power of God was powerfully at work in these people, yet they are making courageous, faith-filled, costly, sacrificial decisions at the same time. Perhaps you might have property or land that you could sell. Maybe God is calling you to costly sacrifice for others. We had some friends in Torquay who always let us borrow their car. That might not sound too much, but what if you said to one of your neighbors, at any time you need my car, you can have it? That's a start. But among those highlights in Acts 2 and Acts 4, those massive contributions would have been a thousand smaller but equally faith-filled and meaningful, courageous acts of love and care. I wonder what yours might be. You might say, I can't sell my house. I don't have land to give up for someone else. I wonder what of the thousands of other smaller, yet faith-filled contributions yours might be. So sharing in that kind of community life together. It's based on convictions. It's based on the Spirit's life and power. But it's based on you and I saying to the Lord, please use me for your glory and for people's good. May I love like you have loved me. I'm going to ask you, perhaps to close your eyes. Maybe you're at home. 
Maybe you could just close your eyes. I'm going to ask you a question for you to ponder. My question is this. Lord, what is my faith-filled, courageous step into this type of community? Ask him. See what he says to you. See what he nudges you with. Maybe you've disengaged, given up on community in this church. Let me call you back. Maybe someone hurt you and your challenge is to forgive them and believe again for Acts 2, Acts 4 community. Maybe it's to love that person. Maybe it's to give. Maybe it's to start serving. Who knows what it might be? Lord, please speak to us right now. Whether we're at home, whether we're here, we ask, Lord, for faith and courage to do what you're calling us to do. We dare to pray, Lord, for an Acts 2, Acts 4 kind of community here. We pray it for your glory. We pray it for one another's good. And we pray it for a world who is desperate to see what real community looks like. We ask, Lord, that you will send your power for that kind of life here and give us courage to step wherever you call us to. In your name, amen.